0: I want, to, I want to minister this evening on some things that are happening in me that are, but that's not unusual. I, I really do that every month. Things that are happening in me that I'm wrestling out in prayer and in study with the Spirit and saying how might we be able to put that out on the table as bread. Tonight a little different in that it, I think it will be a little bit more of, of our journey involved in this Word. In fact, our journey sort of birthed this Word. It was, uh, 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 in some ways, the culmination of some things the Holy Spirit's been doing in me. The Lord began to show me a couple, of, a few weeks ago um, a, a bit of a spiritual vision. And I say that not trying to be surreal. And I say it not, not even simply trying to be allegorical. I don't mean that I had a full technicolor vision, but I know I had a vision of my spirit that wouldn't go away. One of those things where the Holy Spirit shows you something and then keeps showing you throughout the day or throughout the week, and then keeps reiterating it with Scripture or keeps reiterating it in prayer. And that vision was of, in in many respects, was of myself as a caster of seed. A little bit like the parable of the sower, where you reach into your seed bag and you throw the seed. And really, in that parable, of course... God is placing Jesus in the world. That's the heartbeat of that parable. But I was really thinking more along Paul's illustration to the Galatians where he said, uh, he was prompting the Galatian church to give. And he said, give so that there's seed in the sowing bag. So that when the sower goes to grab the seed, he can cut. So I was, had this vision of, of really that the Father's put us in ministry as in some respects as the caster of seed, the caster of, of word and of Christ and the love of the Father. But the vision began to expand to, to, to see that, in a way, we were, we were a gardener. We were working a patch of ground um, like a gardener does, tending it and trying to build it. And I saw and continued to see in prayer my own self trying to throw seed into that garden. And the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. I said, Lord, what what are you trying to show me in this vision? The thing that the Holy Spirit keeps bringing back is that for the last seven or eight years, our ministry has been one of casting seed. We've went into various churches. We've went into homes, we've went into hearts, we've went into clubhouses, we've went into backyards and gymnasiums, and I mean, I, wherever the door has opened, we've went with great joy and great success and watched God bring revelation and excitement and love to so many people. And in a way, it's been throwing seed in all of these different directions. And over the course of the last couple of years, we've been digging deep into the bag and pulling out unique, strange seed. (laughs) You know, like pulling out seed that's not indigenous to that church, that's not indigenous to that garden and throwing it because it's a depth of the love of God. It's a challenge to some of the doctrinal systems. It's a new way of looking at an old thing it's a seed that hasn't been around those parts before and we've thrown it and there's been a little success but there's been more and more push against that and so as I prayed that out I began to feel and sense the Holy Spirit saying I have given seed in your bag that cannot be planted anywhere but in your own garden And so you have worked hard to continue to do what you're called to do, but the seed you're reaching in and grabbing now is going to require you to get your hands dirty, weed the garden, work the garden, wait in the garden. And so I've been praying about what does that mean? Because that's a big, that sounds like small potatoes in the world of visions, but it's pretty big when it's your own seed bag you're throwing out of. It's okay if it's somebody else. Hey, yeah, you do what the Lord tells you to do. But when it's you, <laughs> well, then it becomes something more. Well, I, it's not enough. It's never been enough for me to say, I feel like the Lord shown me this. The Lord has to show me this, and He has to qualify it. Not because I demand Him to qualify it, but because He gave us the Scriptures for a reason, so that we can qualify the things that he tells us. That way, if he tells us something that's against the Bible, just straight up against the heartbeat of the love of the Father, we have something we can push back with and say, Father, or maybe it's not Father we're hearing from, is to say, whatever this is doesn't look like Jesus. And so then we can say, okay, maybe I'm hearing me. Maybe I'm hearing him. Maybe I'm hearing her. Because we tend to do that. This is why I'm Jesus-centric. Because I want to see Jesus so much that when I think I've heard from God, the only way I know to confirm it is to go see if it looks like Jesus. And then if it looks like Jesus, I can go, okay, it passed the Jesus test. And the Jesus test to me is strict. Like, what would Jesus have said in this? And what did Jesus do in this? How did Jesus present this? So that's to pass the Jesus test. So I feel like the Holy Spirit took me to two parables, I want to read both of those parables for you tonight. I want to start with one that I think describes the condition of ministry that the Father has walked us through for close to a decade. Okay? They're kingdom parables. I'll preface this by, before we read by saying, I get questioned a lot by people that say, you talk about the kingdom a lot. Can you just explain what you mean by that? And I'm always amazed by that statement because the Gospels are chock full of Jesus telling kingdom stories. So I go, have you been reading the gospels lately? Because every time you turn around, Jesus goes, Hey, let me tell you what the kingdom's like. And then he tells you a story. Then he goes, Hey, let me tell you what the kingdom's like. And he tells you another story. It's and he triples down and he quadruples down and he goes over and over and over and over and over. And you go, okay, I may not understand the intricacies of all of those stories, but you know, I could get the gist of if you put yeast in bread, it rises, so is the kingdom. You don't have to load it up with yeast. You just need a little bit. And so maybe the kingdom is one of those things that doesn't have to be dominant. It doesn't have to be headlines. It doesn't have to, to front the newspaper. It just has to be put into a heart. Okay, maybe. Maybe that's kingdom talk. All right. So these are kingdom parables. But as with all parables given by Jesus, they reach out. They go past just the primary, and they reach into your life. So let's read a couple of them. Mark chapter 4, verse number 26. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. What's the kingdom implications of what is sometimes referred to as the parable of the growing seed? Well, the kingdom implication to me seems to be, I don't have to understand how the kingdom works or what God wants to do. I simply present Christ by the way I live, by the way I love, by the way I talk. I don't need to understand the theology of it. I don't need to have all the verses memorized. I trust and then I'll understand. I trust that God is at work and I'll understand it later. I trust that he loves people and I'll understand it later. I trust that he forgives. I trust grace. That's the farmer who throws seed out into the field and then goes to bed. The parable says he goes to bed and he goes to sleep and he has no idea how it works. Well, we're smarter than that. We actually have science books. We actually know how it works but for purposes of context and audience, what Jesus is saying is, you don't have to know how it works. You just throw the seed, go to bed, do your thing, and lo and behold, he goes, the earth does the rest. He says, the earth brings forth of herself. Well, Paul would say it this way, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. what Paul mean? Well, I think part of what Paul meant is sometimes we plant seed and sometimes we water seed but God's the one that actually makes things grow but I also think that Paul meant no matter whether you're planting or whether you're watering because there's different seasons for different things you don't plant every day and you don't water every day whether you're in planting season or watering season you're really just a facilitator you don't save people You don't transform people. You don't give people revelation. You just tend it. You you don't change anyone. I don't change any of you. There's not anything that I can do as a little gardener right here to actually make your plant produce the fruit that is conducive to your best quality of life. Who am I? I can't shake the tree enough to make apples grow in an apple tree. And so no matter whether it's planting season or watering season, God gives the increase. So kingdom implications, I trust, I understand. What well, about practical implications? Well, the practical implications is we scatter seed and we hope it works. And we do it all the time in our lives. Like, we don't know what we're doing, right? Maybe I'm the only one that doesn't know what I'm doing, but okay, I don't know what I'm doing a lot of times. I just scatter the seed and go, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to give what I have and I'm going to hope that it works. And a lot of times we're stressed out because we keep trying to, we keep trying to work in the micro and figure out how to make everything work in people's lives. And the reality is, is that what we have, I give to you. Peter and John meet the lame man at the temple in Acts and he goes, alms for the poor. And Peter goes, well, silver and gold have I none. what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And Nazareth rise up and walk. Look, I can only give you what I got. I can't give you what you're asking for, but I can give you what I got. And in a way, to me, that is scattering seed. I may not have exactly what you need, but I have something somebody needs. And you know what? We do, I do that a lot with the Word. So when I go into a church, I'm not the pastor. And the pastor's working this patch of ground. He knows everybody. He knows their ins, their outs, their ups, their downs, their kids, their parents, their backgrounds. He visits their hospitals. He knows their, uh, He goes to their birthday parties. He dunks their grandkids in baptistries. He runs their vacation Bible school. He knows all of that stuff. I come in and I'm just chucking seed into the church. Right? I'm reaching down to the bag and I'm just throwing it out there going, boy, I hope this works. And it's really exciting. You know, like people get all pumped up because the dude's throwing seed in the air. And I've been in that. I've seen that. I know what, I know that it's an exciting feeling. However, (laughs) what I'm really doing is just a general smattering of throwing out the goodness of God. I don't know if that's going to hit, but like three people in that church of 300 that week. I don't know if it's going to move five people out of the 50 that are sitting there, or if it's going to hit all 15 out of the 15 that are there. You just don't know. You just throw the seed. And you know what? There's actually a, there's a call for that. There's a purpose in that. And sometimes a revelation hits that one person and they go, I've got it. I can't tell you the times that I get a call two months later from a pastor that goes, man, you were here. You said the same thing I've been saying for two years, but oh, so-and-so who never gets it, got it. That guy got it. And you go, okay, well, why? I don't know. I, I don't know. Sometimes you throw the seed and you just go to bed. The earth, which is the soil of their heart, does exactly what it's supposed to do because the seed works you get that? The sower doesn't work. The seed works. And that's what's happened in many of you. We sowed. Sometimes this scattershot. Will it be the one that I need tonight? Maybe not. It might be the one somebody else needs tonight. This. So there is kingdom implications in this and there's practical implications in this. I want to get into the practical a little more in a moment, but I want to stack it against another parable, okay? Go to Luke chapter 13, and let me show you another one. Luke chapter 13, verse 18, he said, "'Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? "'And to what should I compare it? "'It's like a mustard seed "'that someone took and sowed in the garden. "'It grew and became a tree, "'and the birds of the air made nests in its branches.'" Let's start with kingdom implications. What's the kingdom implication of this Jesus story? What's the kingdom like? He goes, well, the kingdom is as small as a little bitty seed. You put it in the ground, and it grows into something far bigger than the way it started. So that little bitty testimony that hit you a long time ago, the first time you heard the gospel, that little seed where someone invited you to church or told you about Jesus is now a massive tree that has taken deep roots in your life, has affected you and your children and your grandchildren and everything around you. That's the kingdom. It didn't take a world-shaking revival to do it. It took someone telling you about Jesus. Someone took the seed and dropped it into your heart. They didn't just scatter it. They took the time to talk to you. They put that seed in you. Maybe they even cultivated it. Maybe they took the time and discipled you, loved you, hugged you, forgave you, helped you heal, held your hand, walked it out with you. Here you are today. You are more than you think you are because of the kingdom. You are branches for which the fowls of the air can rest. You provide peace and shelter to people you don't even know about. You provide hope and stability to people you haven't even thought about, such as the kingdom. That's kingdom implications. Practical implications is sometimes you plant something in your own garden, and it's the only way to make that particular seed grow because that particular seed cannot be scattered. That particular seed needs to be dropped into fertile soil and watched and weeded and watered and cultivated. And if you've ever gardened, you know what I'm talking about. There are some seeds you can cast and they will grow. And there are some seeds you don't just cast, not unless you want to have wasted your money on a pack of seed. There are some seeds that only grow in gardens contain spaces where someone has put in time, attention, and love. And those seeds go down into the garden, and those seeds flourish, and they begin to grow. So allegorically or personally, sometimes you plant in the garden because it's the only way to get to grow what you need to grow. So what I've been praying is, Father, you begin to give a vision to me that the seed that you've had us casting in many respects can really only grow in a garden And to grow in a garden has to be a place you're willing to get your hands dirty. It's a place where you're willing to reach down into the soil and cultivate. A place where you are willing to take the time to do what needs to be done, to say what needs to be said, to handle what needs to be handled, but no longer is it enough to simply scatter. And we've spent the last nearly eight years of our life in ministry in one way or the other scattering seeds, sometimes in church, sometimes in meetings and conferences. But, but a lot through content. And so we're throwing out digital content every day, every day, every day. And we're covering a wide variety of topics and, and topics that have been necessary because they can't all be taken care of in Sunday mornings at churches. And they can't all be the kind of things that you're going to hear. It's why sometimes our sermons are sometimes longer, sometimes meatier, sometimes the kinds of things that People go, boy, I wish I'd hear that in church on Sunday, but they're not always the kind of things you can hear in church on a Sunday. It's not because the church won't accept it, but because it's not conducive in some ways to what is happening or what's trying to be done in those situations. And so we've scattered. Over the last several years, the Father brought us to Georgia. I didn't really know. I I, it's been a long time since I felt like I absolutely knew what God wanted to do. And all the times I look back at my life and go, I know what God wants to do. Most of the time I was wrong. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought I knew. And I went into it with this big head of, I got this. And then it didn't take long. And you went, okay. I was a little bit on, but I was a lot off too. But at least I was getting out of the boat. So I, I've been one that I'm willing to walk on the water as long as I can walk towards Jesus. I could not care less if I sink. You know, people don't get out of boats because they're afraid they're going to sink. To me, I wouldn't want to miss a chance to walk with Jesus. I don't care if I come back to the boat soaking wet. That was Peter. Peter comes back to the boat soaking wet, but he's the only one with a story. Like, he gets in the boat soaking wet. You can make fun of him all you want. He goes, you didn't walk on water, did you? You know, it's like, yeah, but aren't you tired of failing? Go, no. I'm tired of not trying, not tired of, tired of failing. Not when I'm walking towards Jesus, really no such thing as failing when I walk towards Jesus. Yeah, but you went under. Yeah, but he pulled me up. I mean, so, so I don't wait until conditions are all right. I want to see Jesus. I can get out of the boat with the wrong head space. I don't think Peter was in the right head space. If he was, he probably would have made it all the way there because halfway there, he looks at the storm. And he goes, oh boy, I'm walking on water. And that's the problem As then boom, underneath we go. And so I've got out of the boat in the wrong headspace more than once. But I get out of the boat because I go, well, that's not a ghost. That's Jesus. He just looks like a ghost if you don't have the right glasses on. If you got the right lens on, that's the invisible man. That's the one I've been waiting on. And so here we go. So we've gotten out of the boat more than once. And it's never been exactly what I thought. That's okay, because every time we've gotten out of the boat, we got wet, we went half under, and we walked back to the boat with Jesus. And he puts us in the boat, and he goes, we're going to be all right. And we take that journey. And so what I've watched the Father do in the last few years then is, unbeknownst to us, was begin to correlate little gardens. And so that has become clear to me why our heart has been so linked with what happens here because it hasn't just been scattering seed. It's been planting something into individual lives in a way in which we can watch that garden begin to grow. Now, I don't entirely know what that means. What I do know is I've seen the invisible man and he's walking. And I do know that he's saying, let's do this again. And I've been soaked enough times to know that a soaking is probably coming. (laughs) That's okay. But I've also swung my leg over the edge of the boat enough times that I go, I'll never miss this chance to swing my leg over this boat. If I got to sink, that's okay. I know where I'm going. So I say, Father, what does that mean? I believe that there is this toe through the Bible, this undertow that is the river of God's love I wrote a little bit about this in our last book. There's a river of love that flows through the Bible and the characters that get it, get it. And they jump in. And the ones that don't flirt around on the edges of the river or they miss it altogether. Jesus is the rushing current of the love of God. The reason why Jesus is such an oddball is because religion has built castles next to the river but won't swim and so here comes Jesus right through the parched desert of people's soul, giving them the love of God and religions pulling people away from God in droves through performance rules and through holding on to, to dead ideas. And here's Jesus in the river of God's love. And that river is, is obvious. It's, there's a river in the Garden of Eden, then it flows through the Bible, and it ends up in the book of Revelation flowing straight through the New Jerusalem. But that river's only part of the undertow. What I'm seeing is there's a garden image in the Bible That never really goes away. God creates man and He puts him in a garden. Jesus dies and is buried in a garden. He is raised from the dead in a garden and the first person that sees Him thinks he's a gardener. She's not wrong. He is. He's just gardening a new creation. And then when the Bible ends in the book of Revelation, it's the same garden with a river flowing through it. Strangely, in every garden there are trees. In the Garden of Eden, there's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Choose wisely. At the garden tomb, Jesus has just died on a tree and then comes out of the tomb. In the book of Revelation, in the garden of the city of God, there are trees that line both sides of the river of life and the leaves sprout for the healing of the nations. And then lo and behold, in this parable of the mustard seed, God plants another tree in another garden because what the kingdom really is is trees planted in gardens, but not just scattered, trees cultivated in a garden space. I, I don't want to run you there, but you know the story. Genesis 2, where God pulls Adam out of the dirt. The Bible says that God creates man from dust in Genesis 2, and then He creates a garden, and He puts him in it. He doesn't create a garden and then stick man in it. He creates man because man is first. Man is his heart. Man is the image of God. And then the garden is created for man so that man has something to do. And God doesn't put him in a wilderness. He puts him in a garden and he tells him to tend it. And that's a very specific word. Just tend it. Just take care of it. To do this, you're going to have to get your hands dirty. To do this, you're going to have to be on guard. To do this, you're going to have to watch it. You're going to have to guard it. So it's the Lord's garden. It's never our garden. What is happening in this space is not our garden. It's the Lord's garden. I'm watching him build it. I'm watching him link your hearts together. I'm watching him sprout something beautiful out of it. I want to find my place in this garden, because I believe this is a unique space. This is not just a space to scatter seed. This is a space to put our hands in the dirt. What you do in a garden is you weed it and you water it. This is—I I don't do these three points in a poem, servants. You guys know me. You know three points in a poem and a song, and but I just. Felt like the Lord gave me three W words. I was a real genius. (laughs) You water a garden, you weed a garden, and you wait on a garden. So he gave me that a few days ago. I said, okay, what's that mean? What's that going to mean for this place? What's that mean for me? Well, you water it in that you feed it the very essential thing it needs to grow. You see, What we're trying to do in your life, I am not here to tear down wrong ideas. I am not here to expose your theology. I'm not here to fight against your former church past, your the knowledge you had about Christianity, couldn't care less. I'm not even here to fight you. I'm here to water you. And water you means wash sometimes it means wash you off. It's Jesus with the disciples. Putting his apron on and kneeling down in front of Peter and splashing water on his feet, and Peter getting his feelings hurt. And going, You don't wash my feet. The lowest servant in the house washes feet. You're better than that, Jesus. And Jesus goes, You don't understand how this kingdom works. This is what we do. So you've misunderstood. You think we're building something. We're not building something in this garden, we're watering seeds. One of the tragedies that we have in the modern church is the idea that when we start something, we're supposed to build something. God built the garden and put people in it to tend it. Christ builds His church. We just cultivate whatever we are. What we really are doing is just washing people off when they come in. Just splashing them with the love of God. That's our job. Not to make sure they change not to clean up their lives, not to do inventory on them, not to collect pay stubs off of them, not to make sure that they're contributing financially, physically, domestically, spiritually, check-marking all the boxes, but to splash them off with water, it's why they came. When they walked in, they walked in with the stuff that's on the road. The dirt and the filth that we pick up when we walk this walk, don't you? Yeah. Anxiety, depression, discouragement, fear, guilt, shame, pain, condemnation. You drag all of it in with you. We all do it every time we come in with the brethren and the sisters. And what do we need? Slap, smack, preach to, beat up, get on the altar, change your life. Most of us, that's our whole Christianity. But you don't do that in a garden. You do that if you're trying to build something in your image, you do that if you have an image. And you want to live up to it. Or you want to uphold it. Or you've built some banner, some bastion of goodness and righteousness, and you're telling everyone to jump up to it because that's God's will. Or you get on your knees in front of people. And you just put the water on them they need. And that's all you got. You see, the earth inside of them does the work. The Holy Spirit inside of them does the work. The soil inside of them does the work. How many more illustrations do we need? What we do is we water. We just splash People off. What I've done with you, I've done it blatantly, but maybe you didn't catch it, but subtly. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not insulting intelligence. I, I literally mean it because I don't come in and announce every time what's going to happen, but what's happened subtly is the reason that this group keeps coming back is because you get splashed off. Because we reach over And we grab a little portion of what hurts you. And we put the medicine on. We don't poke it to see if it's healing properly. (laughs) And we don't ask you what you've been doing to fix it this last month. But we splash you off with the water that is the water of what Jesus called the living water. Why do you call it living? Because it's alive. Because if it hits you, it brings stuff to life. It brings peace and joy, and it prospers your soul. And that's, that's all I've ever tried to do. It's just water it. But that can be done if you're a guest speaker. Really, it's not always, but it can be. And I try to do that. But weeding. You see, weeding is trying to help you to identify all of the things that are there to choke out your joy and your peace. And to weed, you gotta put your hands in the dirt. You can't weed from afar. You can water from afar. Do you know that? You can splash water on people. Thus saith the Lord. You know, you can make the sign of the cross over them, sling water their way. But if you're gonna weed them, you gotta get your hands in the soil. You gotta get involved in the mess of people's lives. And, and, and what I mean by that is you don't you don't clean them up you don't fix them but you involve yourself in a way that sometimes is more comfortable than you more uncomfortable than you want for it to be jesus can do anything in the gospels that's an understatement but go with me sometimes he says to someone go your way your faith has made you whole i always think that's the easy healing if you're jesus You know, like you come and you go, I got this problem. And he goes, Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. And you think, Wow, if you could do that, why don't you just do that over everybody? And then I get to Mark, and Jesus is a guy comes up to Jesus and he can't see. And Jesus spits in the man's face, like, and goes, Can you see? And the man goes, Kind of. I see men as trees walking. And then Jesus reaches out and touches his eyes, same spit that he just put on the man's face. Touches his eyes because then you see now. And the man says, I can see all things clearly. Jesus goes, Go your way. Another time, a man comes to Jesus and he's blind, and Jesus spits on the ground and takes his finger and smears it in the ground, makes a mud cake and then scoops it up off the dirt and smears it across the man's eyelids and says, go wash in the pool of I read all those for years and went, what are you doing? Why wouldn't you just choose that simple, clean one? Go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I mean, if you can do that once, you can do that 10 times. You're Jesus. Just go, go your way. I love the go your way healing. Go your way. It's so blase. It's so simple. I don't even get my hands dirty. Go your way. I've said it to a lot of people. I didn't have the Holy Spirit behind it. Let go go your way. You have whatever you want. And I go, do they? I don't know. It was a lot easier than get my hands dirty. <laughs> just go your way. But why does Jesus do that? I, I, the, only thing I can, the only thing I can land on that gives me rest is that Jesus is ever following the voice of his Father. And sometimes his Father says, just say the word. And once in a while, his Father goes spit in that guy's face. And I know Jesus has to go... Are you sure <laughs> about that spitting in the face part? And he spits. And then when the guy can't see, what, do you, what would you do if you were Jesus? That's never happened before, by the way. You've never had one that didn't take. You know what I mean? I know I'm, I know I'm risking it here. You couldn't go in just anywhere and say this. I, I've built some rapport with you. Stay with me. You know I'm a Jesus fan. I'm a Jesus freak, all right? We'll bring this baby around. So, like, what would you do if you're Jesus? You spit, doesn't take. And you go, oh, now I got to reach out. He's like, okay, this is almost like what you get. You spit, now you got to play in your own spit. <laughs> or you got to spit on the ground, make mud cakes. But in any case, it's Jesus hearing his father say, Follow me. Sometimes we got to get our hands dirty. It's, it's the woman caught in the act of adultery. It's Jesus reaching down and doodling in the sand. It doesn't matter what he doodles. It matters that he doodles because in some ways it's allegorical. I will get my hands dirty for you. You are worth it. They will kill you, but I will put my hands in the soil. Because I could just say the word, but you need me to do more than that. Because what I really believe is the Holy Spirit is so sensitive to the needs of each person being healed that sometimes, sometimes they just need human contact. You know? I feel that when I watch Jesus heal lepers. Like nobody touches a leper. And then Jesus will walk up to a leper and he'll touch him. Can you imagine what you would do if you were that leper? Nobody touches you because they're scared of you. Jesus could just pull that whole, your faith made you whole bit. But the Holy Spirit won't let him. And he won't let him because the man needs somebody to touch his eyelids. The man needs someone to lay hands on his rotten flesh. The woman needs to watch someone get their hands dirty for her instead of just ignoring her. That's weed in the garden, man. You could just spray the water or you can get your hands dirty. And it's costly to get your hands dirty. And the third one is wait. Patience. To watch what God's going to do without anticipating that you know exactly what it's going to look like. The great issue when we, when we are in church, and I'm air quoting church because to me church has broad definition, okay? But the great, tr- the great challenge when we're in church is to be patient that the Holy Spirit is doing what He wants to do without our help and that He doesn't need us to do the things that we define success by. Because sometimes what we're trying to do is to validate all of our getting out of the boat. When the Holy Spirit is just saying, I'm already doing the work I want to do. Quit trying to second guess me. Just enjoy it. Jesus Christ is building his church. We just get to participate in gardening. And as shepherds or under shepherds, as me, the guys who stand here and deliver the word, There's an even greater challenge in that garden. And that is to to stay and to weed and to water and to wait and to be patient and to not anticipate that you know what God will do. So I don't know all that God wants to do. But I truly believe that God has established a little garden right here. I truly believe that our call in this season is more than just throwing seed in this garden that it is more than just tossing and moving on and see what happens. And I bring that before you because we've had we've went down this road together long enough that what I'm really doing is trying to put a seed even just quickly that's not even right cuz I don't think it's quickly. I think the holy spirit has been working in you as well, but to put a seed in your heart to see where your soil is in this journey and to see what you will allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate in each one of you. Patience is the virtue that I struggle with. I think probably everyone does um, because I want to see what God's got up his sleeve and I want him to like, let me in on it. And I know that He doesn't. Jesus said, in your patience you possess your souls. In other words, as you're patient, you control your emotion. It's when you lose your patience, you let it all fly. And So a lot of times what happens is we we want to see what God's going to do so badly that we start to anticipate it and we try to step out in front of it and say, let me help you out. Surely God needs me to do something. That's why I'm here. Uh, here's what I'll do. And that doesn't mean that we should never be involved and that we, there's nothing for us to ever do. It means that we have to prayerfully consider that The Holy Spirit is doing things that can only be come to fruition with patience. That's waiting in the garden. It's not pushing. It's just waiting. Jeremiah chapter 29. I just want to share with you something that I felt like stood out to me in in verse 1. We'll just read a few verses. Jeremiah 29 1. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, to the people whom... Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans, the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, son of Shaphan, Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, watch this in verse 4, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All right? These are the exiles in Babylon who have been displaced from their home city. They're living in a country they'll never be able to call their own. You'll never be able to call Babylon home. And here's what God tells them to do. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. How shocking is it to have God say to the exiles in Babylon, Build a house, plant a garden, produce there. It's not home, but make it home while you're there. Thrive while you're there, and pray for the peace of Babylon. This is one of the biggest reasons why my eschatology is not we're getting out of here, but we're going to thrive while we're here. At the same time, I, I, I do believe that it's not home. Does that make sense? It's not really home. It's Babylon. We're citizens of a greater kingdom. We have a king. His name is Jesus. Our first loyalty and allegiance is always to him. Anything that presses against that takes a back seat. We are followers of him. What do we do with that in the middle of Babylon? Build houses and plant gardens. Get your hands in the soil, make something happen. Do what you can. To provide a space for the next generation, to be at peace, to grow. Raise them to know that this is not their home either, but that as long as they are here, they are to plant that garden. They are to tend that garden. And not that they are to escape and go to someplace else, but that they are to live as if they are citizens of another place as well, a place beyond this. And if we live that way, then we'll live that way in front of the citizens of this place. As resident aliens, as a people who belong to another place, but care enough for the place we are to put our hands into the soil, to make a difference where we are. But a difference not through the lens of the world, but through the lens of the kingdom. I'm praying for you that the Holy Spirit show you in your own walk, in your own life, how to tend the garden of your own soul. Because you see, you do have things that matter to you. And whatever matters to you, you have to take care of it. Tend the garden of your family. Tend the garden of your marriage. Tend the garden of your own body and your mind. It's yours. How do you, have, how do, you do it? You got to wash it off. You got to weed it. You got to be patient. But you can't ignore it. You can't just scatter anything you want into it and hope that it lands. If it's a garden, it's worth planting. If it's a roadside, throw seed, man. If it's a garden, take time. Pay attention. Love the ones that are yours. Care for them. Cultivate it. Now that's you individually. You've all got them. You don't just have one garden. You've got multiple gardens. It has multiple iterations. Different ways of looking at it. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit in that. Don't say to him, it doesn't really matter, I'm under grace, I'm going to heaven anyway. Unless you just want a garden full of weeds and thorns, and every time you try to go in it to find fruit, there's nothing there but stuff that tears the flesh off your body, because that's what happens. People say to me all the time, you think you can sin under grace? I go, I'm positive you can sin under grace. Will you be condemned? Absolutely not. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You can do whatever you want. <gasps> You can do whatever you want if you're under grace? Absolutely you can do whatever you want if you're under grace. It's your garden. What kind of garden you want. You want to walk in there and there be thorns and they stab you every step you take? Go for it. Ruin your life. Ruin your marriage. Ruin your relationships. Ruin your reputation in the community. It's your garden. God's not going to condemn you. He'll even walk into the hellhole you created. Because if you make your bed in hell, guess who's there? He ain't walking out on you. You mean I'll still be righteous? Your righteousness was never when you were good anyway. Why would it not be there when you're bad? Sure. Go crazy, folks. Do whatever you want. It's your garden. But what comes out of a garden? Hopefully something that feeds somebody. So what's coming out of yours? That's your call. And it's between you and the Lord. This is why I go, should we open wide the door? Can we just invite anybody into our meetings? Absolutely. Bring all the trashiest gardens you can find. Fling wide the gates, man. It's the Lord's table. It's His house. Bring them in. What are we going to do? We're going to wash. If they'll stay, we're going to wash. We're going to pull the weeds that are hurting them. We're going to love them in spite of their self. We're not going to love them so they'll change. We're going to love them as they are because that's what Christ did at Calvary. He just loved us as we are. I'm not in the business of cleaning up your garden. Don't you think you ought to preach sin to people? What good's it going to do to tell them what they're doing wrong? What they're doing wrong will tell them. I promise it will tell them. In fact, it's screaming at them right now. (laughs) It's screaming at them on all the areas that are falling apart. So what do we do? Help with the garden. As a group, we are a garden. I'm praying about what that looks like for me with you, but I am telling the Holy Spirit I'm done saying that it's got to be one way or it's got to be another way. If you want me to plant a tree right here in this garden, whatever that looks like, Father, you just begin to order the steps. I'll follow. Second, Father, thank you for your kids that are here tonight, your children. They're yours. I haven't cultivated one. I'm not a spiritual father. They're not spiritual sons and daughters. What you've been speaking in me is to me. The only reason I share it with them is because whenever I think of the garden, this is the garden I think of. I share it because I know that there's a sound in the wind of the spirit that is blowing. I've heard it before. I want to follow it properly. I'm not asking for anything from your children. I'm not asking anything even from you that you haven't already spoken or done. Just tender our hearts and cultivate it. What's supposed to be will be, but it won't be just for happenstance. It'll be because we say yes. It'll be because we step forward. Or it'll be because we find what it is you want for us to do and we say yes to that. So, Father, I... I, I don't pray a prayer of understanding tonight, but a prayer of hope and a prayer of faith. Believing not just for this room, but for everyone who will watch this sermon and hear it. I pray that you show us where our own garden needs tended, whatever that garden looks like, whatever that is. I'm not even sure what those are, but also what this one is as well. In Jesus' name, amen.